I'm doing this uh, study today called Prophecy 101. How many of you have ever taken a college class? All right. You ever have a 101 class? It's an orientation, if you will, right? It's a laying the groundwork. It's a laying the framework. Uh, if you've never taken a college class, how many of you have taken a high school class? Okay, good. I won't go any lower than that. I'm not trying to embarrass you if, you know, I didn't get past the seventh grade. No, hopefully that's not the case. If he, did, if he did, that's okay. Abraham Lincoln, I think he would have finished like seventh or eighth grade, and uh, the man uh, was self-taught, and I'd say one of the more brilliant men to ever lead. So, But my point is, um, we want to set a foundation this morning. Uh, in the next few weeks, I'm going to be doing uh, teachings on end times prophecy. We're going to define what the Bible says prophecy is in just a moment, because there's some actually misconceptions about that as well. So we're going to step away from our study of Exodus uh, ever so briefly for maybe five weeks if this 101 takes us to next week because we had a packed agenda this morning. We'll see what we cover. If I need to do a 101 part two, we'll cover that next week. But uh, I think that when we're done, it'll give a good framework, a good groundwork uh, of understanding. For those of you that have never really either studied the prophecies of the Bible, where the end times fit in, what does it all mean, uh, and then as you study your own Bibles, things will come alive to you. You'll start to see that certain verses maybe you overlook actually have a lot to do with, again, you might never have known that the, the Lord's Supper is tied to prophetic events, the return of Christ, that we're, we're to keep these things until Jesus returns. So uh, there's so much. But I want to start out with three passages I think can start to kind of pull the uh, curtains back a little bit. Turn with me to three places. We'll go in order. The first place, go to Genesis chapter 3. Uh, if you're visiting, that's the first book of the Bible. It means beginnings. Genesis chapter 3. So if we can just start there. Genesis chapter 3. We're going to look at the first spoken prophecy in the Bible. Now technically, it's not even the first prophecy. Uh, the first prophecy... Uh, that you, you could say uh, speaks to a future is actually the Sabbath rest. But, it's not, but that's not actually a spoken prophecy. That's in the context of God telling what he did in the creation of the world, and you actually have there in the Sabbath rest a picture of a future period. But in Genesis chapter 3, we have God speak forth a specific prophecy that will take place. And by the way, has already been taking place. Genesis chapter 3, starting with verse 14. You know that prior to this, uh, the Lord speaking what he, what he says here, that Adam and Eve made a really bad decision. They didn't believe God, and they chose to believe Satan. And isn't that what man's been dealing with ever since? Are they going to believe Satan? Because he's got a lot of lies he tells. Or are they going to believe God? I don't know who you believe in collectively, but I know who I believe in and persuaded that he is able, amen, to keep everything that he's committed or I've committed, it, it's going to all take place. But here's what uh, the scriptures tell us in Gen uh, Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve have fallen, they've sinned, and now they're going to die. Their bodies will start to wither over time. They will not live eternally in the current body, they're going to live eternally. We're all going to live eternally. But something has changed, and the Lord gives us this specific prophecy uh, that applies to a couple of things. 
starting with verse 14, Genesis chapter 3, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and on, uh, you shall eat dust all the days of your life. By the way, serpents, ever since then, do crawl on their belly, right? I will put enmity between you and the woman. Yes, women still hate snakes even to this day, but there's something deeper here. Between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. Jesus died on the cross. When the nails went in, if you actually study the Roman crucifixion, they actually, the nails go in near the heel even, right in there. Holes through, uh, this is long before crucifixion was known to Adam and Eve or any other person. But the heel of Jesus is permanently bruised. Even in the heavens, his feet still bear the scars. So do his hands. But Jesus would deal a death blow to the head of the serpent, Satan. A death blow to the head. You can stub your toe, you can cut your foot off, but you can still live. You lose the head, you've got a real problem, don't you? And the seed of the woman, not the seed of Adam. Jesus would not have an earthly father, would he? He would have a virgin mother. We're going to look at that too. But Jesus would only come through the virgin, and that would be because the father would place Christ in the mother's womb, the seed of woman, not the seed of man. So we have, the, we have prophecy here uh, about the Satan being defeated, the cross, and the Lord would actually come through woman and not through a man. And to the woman, he said, I'll multiply your sorrow and conception and pain. You shall bring forth your children. Yes, women, those of you that deal with all the travails of being a lady in the childbearing process, this prophecy has been fulfilled as well, has it not? You shall have desire for your husband. He shall rule over you. Of course, men and women have been battling ever since. Only the Holy Spirit changes all that. Verse 17, and in Adam, because you have eaten, you have uh, heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you. You shall not eat of it. We can stop right there. The rest of it uh, goes on to say you'll return to the ground. Death would come. The Lord foretells all these things. Why are they prophetic? Because none of them had taken place yet. They were all things that would happen in the future. And matter of fact, maybe a day or two after, Adam and Eve might have not believed it because they didn't die. Eve hadn't had a child yet. Maybe God doesn't know what he's talking about. Oh, and just a little ways down the road. They're like, it's all happening. Everything he said is happening. Even their own son would kill their other son. And they would see that the sins and the death and the travails of childbirth, all those things, but they wouldn't see some of the other fulfillment. They wouldn't see Satan dealt with, would they? They would not see the cross. That would come many years later, several thousand years later. Now turn with us. That's the beginning. First prophecies in the Bible. That's the beginning. Now let's look at the middle, right around the same time that we just took uh, the Lord's Supper. Same time period, same week. Look at Matthew chapter 24. I actually read from Matthew chapter 26 just a minute ago. Look at Matthew chapter 24. Now by the time Jesus comes on the scene... By the time Jesus comes on the scene, the disciples 
they were wondering what would the end of the world look like. Did you know that people have been wondering this for thousands of years? 2,000 years ago, your ancestors, if you're Jewish, because <laughs> uh, the disciples were all Jewish, if, if, if you're not, still we're all from Noah. We all come from the same Noah and Noah's wife, uh, all the way back to Adam and Eve. But 2,000 years ago, people just like you and me were wondering what would the end of the world be like. Because even at their time, they're like, it can't go on like this forever. We can't continue to have Nero's and Caesar's and wars and battles and bloodshed and leprosy and disease and death. It can't go on forever like this, can it? And Jesus told them, no, it won't. Why did Jesus say, let no one deceive you? Let no one distract, get you off course. Stay with me, Jesus said. Stay right by my side and you'll understand. Now let's look at prophecy from a scriptural perspective. Um, first of all, in the New Testament we have this word prophetic. I don't need to read the Greek word. You can see it up there. It means proceeding from a prophet. All the scriptures were written by prophets. Does everyone understand that? All the men of God, holy men of God, as the Spirit moved upon them, they wrote or spoke the scriptures, and then it was codified, written down. Moses wrote the first five books. He was a prophet. Jesus would be a prophet like unto Moses, right? Paul was a prophet and an apostle. Peter, Isaiah, all these men. So they all wrote the scriptures. They're all prophetic, all of them. Genesis to Revelation is that everything you have right here is prophecy. Did you know that? According to 1 Peter 1.19, all of the Bible is prophecy. In a larger sense, every single Sunday that I preach, I'm prophesying. Does everyone understand that? Am I foretelling the future? No. Am I speaking forth what God has given to his prophets? Yes. Thereby, the larger definition is anytime you speak the word of God, you are prophesying. Then there's also prophecy, which speaks specifically to the future or end times. Just like we have certain English words that the same word applies to multiple things, right? But in a larger sense, all of the Bible is prophecy, all of it is prophetic, all of it comes from the breath of God. But not all of it deals with the future. Some of the Bible deals with the past. Some of the Bible deals with things that are the same throughout all periods of time. Some of them deal with characteristics or attributes that God wants to do when we, when we talk about discipleship areas. But then some of the Bible specifically deals with things that have not yet taken place. Other prophecies already have taken place. They were prophecy when they were written. They've just already been fulfilled. Make sense? We, we saw one in Genesis. Would Jesus' heel be bruised, yes or no? Yes. Has it taken place? Yes. That's already taken place. And so you see that in, in, in the Scripture, there's a number of different words for this uh, uh, word prophecy, both in the Greek and the Hebrew, New Testament, Old Testament. We see that in the Old Testament, Nabah, under the influence of the divine spirit. Now, there were false prophets, and they were the, under the influence of demonic spirits, right? 
But demonic spirits can't tell the future. They can only deceive people. This is why you have many world religions. Many people are deceived. Broad is the road to destruction. Many thereby they go that way. Narrow is the way to eternal life. Few there be find it. Right? So the demonic forces have deceived many. They're following Hinduism. They're following Islam. They're following you name it. Jehovah's Witness and Mormons. Good night. Both Jehovah's Witness and Mormons claim to be end times faiths. Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints. But they're following a false Christ. Matthew chapter 24, the more we delve into it, you'll see that Jesus warns three times of apostasy, 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 letting us know clearly that there are true prophecies and there are false prophecies, right? The, you know, when you go to the store and it says organic, you're hoping that it is, right? Why? Because you're paying more. There's real organic and there's ones that you say, I'm not quite so sure if this really is organic. And there's been a couple of companies that have kind of been busted for saying organic, and then you find out, well, it had one-eighth organic. And this is what Satan does. Sometimes they even put a little bit of truth in something to make it one-eighth truth. But that doesn't make it any true, does it? So the divine spirit gives true prophecy. False prophets give false prophecy. Um, I, I don't need to read all of these. One of the specific ones to point out is uh, in the Old Testament, this Nabu'ah word, specific and genuine. Not only genuine, but specific. The Bible is like no other book on the planet because God speaks specifically. And many, not all prophecies, but a lot of them, he speaks very, very specifically. And then we see that uh, prophetia, especially foretelling future events, only the Bible, only the Bible foretells the future. Everybody else, it's a big, fat guess. Not with the scriptures. Let's take a look at the next slide. First one, all of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is prophetic. Already covered that. Just want to make sure we're clear on that. It's all prophetic. But it doesn't all deal with the future. But it's all prophetic. It all prophetically spoken by God. Number two, about a quarter, about one-fourth of the Bible deals with the future, when it was written, because some of that future has now taken place. But when it was written, at the time it was written, if you take all the Bible... 66 books of the Bible, and you look at the 66 books, about one-fourth of what was written, when it was written, dealt with the future. God is very concerned with the future. He wants to give us a future, amen? But he wants us to know what is coming. Number three, very important here as well. God alone knows and directs the future. Is this not an awesome verse, Isaiah 46? Or verse is, 46, 9 through 10. Let's read this one together. From the slide, hopefully your glasses work, let's read it together and let's understand the power of what God said. Let's read it together, starting with verse, uh, the word four. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end 
from the beginning, from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. You just read the summation of all the biblical prophecies that God alone knows the future, he knows the beginning from the end, the in-between, and whatever he says will happen, it will happen according to his great pleasure, his desire. Number four. One other point on number three. This is back to deception. You might watch a show on the History Channel about some guy like Nostradamus. Anyone ever been fascinated by watching something like him? Sure, I've watched some of them. I'm fascinated by them, but not at all impressed. Fascinated because I just like history. But Nostradamus was not a prophet of God. How do we know this? Because he got a lot of things wrong. God's prophets, the Scriptures tell us, they could not be wrong even once. Not once. You couldn't get Hitler's name wrong and call him Hitler. And the world is so impressed that Nostradamus got it. It's so close. A man named Hitler. He had many things way off. Not even close. The biblical prophets would say, false prophet, ignore. And by the way, if you make enough predictions, predictions, not prophecies, you're going to get a few right. This is how people sometimes win money in Las Vegas. I predict that the Giants will win the Super Bowl again. Here's my money. Is that a prophecy or a big guess? It's a guess. No idea. But God doesn't make predictions, and his prophets don't make predictions. They speak forth the beginning from the end as the Spirit tells them, thus saith the Lord. Now, all prophecy works in harmony to convey a couple of things. One, judgment is coming. We saw this in Genesis chapter 3. Judgment, God pronounced judgment right there in Genesis 3. A couple of things. Your body's going to wax and die, right? Satan's going to be judged, right? But the seed of woman would come forth. That's a redemptive work, bringing us back to God. We were created in his image and there's a plan that God has brought forth to actually bring us back to him, to all who would call upon his name. So there's a redemptive work, but there's always a judgment work. My pastor in Charlotte used to always tell me, you can't tell people how good the good news is unless they know how bad the bad news is. Right? Unless you understand that judgment is coming, there's no reason to run to salvation or redemption. If there's no penalty to pay, then you don't really need a Savior. But the fact is we do. Genesis tells us that. Jesus in Matthew tells us, yes, the end is coming. Don't be deceived. The end is coming. But a redemptive work is available just at the same time judgment is coming. And, you know, one thing also to know when you look at the other world's religions, you look at Islam, you look at Hinduism, you look at, they don't have prophecies 
like the Bible at all. They're nary, they, they have just a couple, you know, on, compared to the Bible. The Bible has hundreds of prophecies. Jesus alone, 60 fulfilled, 60 plus fulfilled prophecies. All the other religions, they have like a tiny bit of their predictions. They have a tiny bit of predictions, many of which have never happened. And some are plagiarized from the Bible. Uh, and then on top of it, uh, they're not specific. They're just generalities. People will be really wicked. Wow, what a revelation. You could have seen that at any time in history. God gets very specific of what's going to take place. But they all work in harmony to let people know judgment's coming, redemption's available. Judgment's coming, redemption's available. Judgment's coming, redemption's available. Number five. And this is important for us as believers. This is the most important for us as believers. If we've already been saved, we've already experienced redemption, although not full redemption, because Jesus said, look up for your redemption draweth nigh. We've been redeemed from the curse of sin, but our full redemption is realized, right? Recently, I bought a, a laptop. I had already given the money. The Citibank number had already been given to them for all intents and purposes, it was 100% paid for, but guess what I still didn't have in my hands? Walmart still had to ship it to me. My computer draweth nigh. I could check on the, uh, on the uh, UPS. I could check on the UPS. It was in Maryland after it was in Pennsylvania. I could actually see that it was drawing nearer and nearer. I already owned it. I had already purchased it 100%. whole whole amount was already given, but it hadn't yet been fully received. And that's our salvation. When Jesus comes, he's already paid it in full. Done deal. Sealed in heaven. You'll be there if you're saved. But the redemption draweth to full completion, and this is what God wants to stir up in us. As the believers understand and heed biblical prophecy, it would stir us to greater holiness. You wouldn't just kick back if Jesus is coming tomorrow, you would move out. You would get on your knees and pray when he says to pray. 2 Peter 3, 11 through 12, Titus 2, 13, 14, you can write those down. Let's look at some, um, let me look at the next slide here. I've got some did you know slides. I think you guys will enjoy these. Did you know that the Bible has recorded with 100% accuracy, 100% accuracy, numerous historical facts that the world didn't know was accurate until modern times. Let's look at the first one. Throw the first one up there about the Hittite people. The world used to think that the Bible was out in left field when the Bible spoke of a Hittite group of people. And then archaeologists discovered the enormous Hittite capital, capital, Hattusa. Guess what? The Bible was confirmed. Let's look at the next one. The Bible said Moses wrote the law. Many people didn't believe that writing came until later. Many historians, archaeologists said that this proves that the Bible is false because there's no record of actual... Yeah, there was hieroglyphics, but not a written text. You know the Egyptian hieroglyphics, right? but not a written text. 
They were, many, many archaeologists, historians were convinced that only picture symbols existed when Moses was said to have written the scriptures, but they discovered the code of Hammurabi, uh, Hammurabi king of Babylon, centuries before Moses. Written text was already there. Bible confirmed. Again, let's look at the next one. The Bible describes an Assyrian ruler named Sargon. He captured a city called Ashdod. No records included his name. Hence, people thought the Bible doesn't know what it's talking about. There is no Sargon. Until his palace was discovered in Iraq and the capture of Ashdod, pictured right up there, was on the wall. Now, you might have a hotshot from CNN mock the Bible on all three of these prior to the facts being discovered. You might have some real smart guy like Anderson Cooper saying, so there is no Sargon. Your Bible's wrong. There's no Sargon. Fast forward to when it's found. Uh, Anderson, can, you, can we talk again? Palace, Iraq, Sargon, Ashdod, Bible right, you wrong. Jesus won, you zero. Again. Right? Let's look at the next one. The book of Daniel describes the last ruler of Babylon as one named Belshazzar. But secular records listed Nabonidus as the last ruler. Nabonidus, I'm sorry. Then tablets were discovered that Nabonidus had made his son Belshazzar co-ruler of Babylon. Bible confirmed. Again, all these are in modern times, folks. You don't believe me? You're visiting? Go research some yourself. The wonderful thing about when you preach the Word of God is you can challenge people to go find the facts. The Bible stands on its own authority, doesn't it? Last one. The New Testament describes Pilate as the Roman governor of Judea who condemned the Messiah on the cross. But his leadership in Judea is not found in secular records until an inscription was found in 1961 with Pilate's name on the inscription right up there. You can go see it in Israel today. Bible confirmed again. Now, these are just a few. By the way, if you go to Answers in Genesis at the museum, you'll actually find all five of these. They, they're showcased there in the museum. There's many other things. The Bible continually, what I love about it is the history catches up with the Bible, not the other way around. Same with science. And I don't want, to, I want time to get into science, but you know, Isaiah 40.22 and Job 22.14 already said the word world was a sphere. Columbus did not discover the world was round. He rediscovered it. Just like Columbus didn't discover America, there were already Native Americans here, right? He just, he didn't discover it. He found what people already, uh, the, the Native Americans would have said, yeah, we already knew that. We were here. You didn't discover anything. You stumbled upon what we could have already told you. And by the way, we know for a fact that other people had already crossed the Atlantic well before. And others, and in fact, in fact, Columbus, one of the reasons why he believed it was round is that he read it in the Scriptures. Now, he didn't heed everything in the Scriptures, but that part he actually... Same with uh, Matthew Murray. He, he actually believed when he saw in Psalm 8.8 that there was paths of the sea. He believed there must be channels of the sea and there must be currents 
and he discovered that there were currents that they could actually take these uh, tall ships and move much faster on. Now, he didn't discover that either. Other men had already figured that out in world history, but it was new to him, and it was new to American sailors. And where did he get it? Psalm 8.8. Science catches up with the Bible. History catches up with the Bible. Uh, Archaeology catches up with the Bible. Let's look at some prophecies that have been fulfilled. Let me look at the next slide. Anyone recognize some of these folks? Some of them you probably know immediately. The cross. That's, of course, Jesus, right? You see the, the virgin birth there with Joseph and Mary. You see Jesus uh, near the Sea of Galilee. Obviously, these are paintings. We don't have any pictures of Jesus walking the earth. iPhones weren't everywhere to capture it. But the writers of the Bible discovered it. But a lot of what Jesus did had been foretold well before, hundreds of years before he appeared on the scene. The Bible had already told these things would take place. Take a look at some of these other characters. That's Pharaoh, and you see this, the people subjugated to him, just like the Hebrews were, right? They were slaves in Egypt for how many years? 400. Pharaoh ruled with an iron fist for a long period of time. He had many slaves, not just Hebrew slaves, African slaves, Middle East slaves. He had a lot of slaves. We see here, this is Cyrus the Great. Everyone ever heard of Cyrus the Great? Heard of the Persian Empire? Cyrus the Great. How about Alexander the Great? Everyone heard of him? He swept across the Middle East, all the way to India. Remember, he wept because there was no more worlds for him to conquer. The Bible tells about him, too, well before he was born. Israel becoming a nation. How about the Hanging Gardens of Babylon? Now, the Bible doesn't tell us about the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. It tells us about a kingdom of Babylon to come. Specifically, uh, that's just someone's rendering of the Hanging Gardens. But the Babylonian power that it would become, the Bible foretold well before it ever happened. Let's take a look at some of these. The the way we'll be able to look at the prophecies of the end is to understand what's already taken place first because they're all connected. 400 years in slavery. Did you know that uh, the Bible prophesied this? Remember, God told Abraham this long before it happened. Go to the the next one. Go to the first bullet point here. 400 years and slavery would be Israel's travail. And God told Abraham well before it happened. How about the next one? Jesus' birth. Where would he be born in? What city? Bethlehem. How did we know? Micah already told us. Well before. Matter of fact, when, when, the, uh, when the wise men came, uh, the, you know, they are talking to Herod, and Herod said, where is he supposed to be born? And the scribes already knew. They said he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. How would they know it? It was already written in Micah. The prophet Micah had already foretold it. Let's look at the virgin birth. Was that a surprise? No, not if you knew the scriptures. Those who knew the scriptures, you know, you think about John the Baptist's parents, right? Zechariah, they would not, they weren't, they were more surprised that they had a child than that Mary had a child. Why? They knew that the Christ would be born to a virgin. What they were shocked about was that their old age, that they had a child. Mary having a child, they were like, we knew that he would come. 
without the help of a man. Let's look at the next one. The Messiah and his ministry would, be, would come out of Galilee. Interesting, because Jesus, there's also the prophecy that Jesus would go down into Egypt and come back up out of Egypt. Uh, Jesus, of course, does come out of Galilee. That's where he's raised. But uh, he's born in Bethlehem, spends time in, in, uh, in Egypt, but his actual, you know, formative years and his ministry comes out of where? Galilee, Isaiah 9.1. How about the precise, precise time that Jesus would be born? Did you know that the prophet Daniel told us exactly when he would be born? Daniel 9.26. It's part of the Daniel's prophecies of the 70 weeks of Daniel. How many of you heard of the 70 weeks of Daniel? We're going we're to look at that in the next couple of weeks. So Daniel prophesied when the Messiah would be cut off, right, the crucifixion, when he would be killed, and exactly the time frame is in, uh, is in Daniel 9.26. How about the next one, the death of Jesus? Prophesied 400 years before he came. 400 years before Jesus died, David said he would die with his hands pierced and his feet pierced. Crucifixion wasn't even a form of death at that time. At least not in that area. Not known to the people in that area. The next bullet. Jesus' death and resurrection. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 10 through 12. Again, if you want to, by, by the way, you can write these down. I, I have the whole slides on PDF if anyone wants me to email them, but I, we'll have to have a sign-up sheet or something if you want me to email these to you. Glad to do it. How about the next one? Babylon. The fall of Babylon was told in the Bible 150 years before Babylon was an empire. Now, Babylon had already been a, uh, had already been a, region, a regional power, but not the empire that God speaks that they would become. In other words, think about it like this. Uh, it, it would be one thing for, for someone to prophesy that Canada would be a country. It would be quite another thing to prophesy that Canada would take over all of North and South America and be the dominant empire. Don't look now, but their economy is doing a lot better than ours. But anyway, that's a different story. Right? That would be a different... One thing, you know, it's, it, it's not... Bible says Babylon would become great and mighty, and it would fall. Isaiah chapter 21, verse 9. Isaiah 47. Let's look at the next one. This one is one of the most amazing in all the scriptures. Cyrus the Great. It's one of these ones that boggles the mind. They all do, because the, the prophecies of Jesus are the most important. Like I said, over 60 of them. I've only shown you a few. Cyrus the Great, 140 years before he ruled in Persia, and the rebuilding of Jerusalem, before Jerusalem had already Jerusalem hadn't been destroyed. The walls were fine. But Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 44, 28, and he actually talks about Cyrus the Great more than that, Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 44, 8, that A, a man named Cyrus the Great would come to power. And he would take over and he would uh, take over the power that the Babylonian Empire had. He would rule and he would be kind to the Jewish people and allow them to go back and rebuild their city that hadn't yet even been destroyed and he hadn't even been born. So Isaiah is writing this down. Lord's talking to him. 
Lord, who's Cyrus? Uh, he's coming about 140 years after you. What's this about the walls? The, the walls aren't broken down. They will be. They're going to be destroyed, ground into powder. But Cy, that guy Cyrus, he's going to actually be used by me. He doesn't follow me. He's a pagan king, but he's actually going to do everything I say. And he's going to actually send the people back, and they're going to rebuild the city. All right, if you say so, Cyrus it is. Cyrus, when he comes to power, guess who showed him the book of Isaiah? Prophet Daniel. Historians tell it, Xenophon, the Greek historian, as well as Josephus, tell us that Daniel showed him the prophecy and Cyrus was blown away to see his name already foretold. And of course, he loved it because it said he would be a great and mighty king who would uncover secret riches. He's like, what's not to love here? And then it told him he had to send the Jews back, so he did it. He didn't even believe in God. And God said all that. He said, though he does not know me, he'll do what I say. Cyrus did it all. Exactly like the Lord said, hundreds of years before he was born. Let's look at the next one. The rise and fall of the Medo-Persian Empire. Now, Cyrus ruled the Medes and the Persians. They actually came together to form the Medo-Persian Empire. At one time, one... They were kind of co-equals, but the Bible tells us that the Persian part would actually become the stronger part, which was Cyrus. He was Persian. He would take over the full command, and he would be, even today in Iran, uh, they love Cyrus the Great. Did you know that? They still have postage stamps. They love, he became the greatest leader of that world, the Persian world, which is today Iran. But the Medo-Persian Empire would fall. It hadn't rose yet. The Bible said it would rise and fall. Isaiah 45, Daniel chapter 8 tells us about it. How about the next one? The rise and rapid expansion of Greece. Greece was not a world power 250 years before Greece became a world power. Greece was nothing but a little agricultural area, right? But the Bible said, that that little little chain of islands there in the Aegean and the Mediterranean would become the most powerful empire in the world for a time, well before its time came. 250 years before a leader, it says that a man would rise to great power and he would, his, his power would end at the height of it. Who is that? Alexander the Great. At 33 years of age, he passes away at the height of his power. When he was 33 years of old, imagine being 33 years of age, he ruled it all. By the way, 33 years of age, he's a picture of the Antichrist because Jesus' ministry would end at 33, but he wouldn't just die at 33. He would rise again at 33 and make what his footstool? Not just the Middle East, the whole earth. Alexander the Great, He became powerful for a period of time, and God foretold it would happen. Not only that, it said that at the height of his power, when he would die, long before it was an empire, long before he existed, that his kingdom would be split up into four pieces. Guess how many pieces the Greek empire was split up into? Four. It even says, the Bible says that the southern one would be the most powerful. Guess which one was the most powerful of the four? The southern. That was the one that dominated Israel. Let's look at the last, last uh, two or three here. Uh, the next one, Judah. The people of Judah, if you were living in Jerusalem, 
Long before you were carried away, the Bible said you would be carried away, and for 70 years that the land would rest. Jeremiah 29.10. Guess what? Daniel, because he studied the Scriptures, he got excited reading what? He was reading the prophet Jeremiah, and it became clear to him, hold on a second, we're not going to be here that much longer. What does that remind you of when you read? Hold on a second. We're not going to be here much longer. Why did Daniel get excited that, he wasn't, that Israel was going to be redeemed? Because he read what God had already said. I can't teach about prophecy of what's to come unless we understand what God's already done. Amen? That's why our 101, which is going to be a 102 next week, because we've got a lot more to cover here in the foundations, we need to understand what God has done to understand what he's going to do. If you can find one book on planet Earth that's not the Bible, that is 100% accurate like the Bible, please show it. But you know it doesn't exist. I'll never forget. We were in Orlando at Walt Disney World. It was the day before we were supposed to go there. And the weather prediction was 0% chance of rain. 0% chance of rain. Not 10%, not 9%, not 1.2% chance of rain. The weatherman, I had never seen it forecasted, 0% chance of rain. Guess what we got the whole next day? It rained for eight straight hours. The wisdom of man is foolishness to who? God. Last two, the re- this is our lifetime now, folks. The rebirth of Israel as a nation. I don't know if anyone here was born by 1948. Anyone? All right. Several of you were alive when this was fulfilled. Now, you may not remember it, because I'm assuming you were all very young. 1948, Ezekiel 37 was fulfilled. Did you know Benjamin Netanyahu got up in Germany in the last two years, stood in front of the former concentration camps, and proclaimed that he does not believe in Jesus as a Messiah. He is a Jew, but he does not believe in Jesus as a Messiah. Did you know Benjamin Netanyahu got up and said, Israel 37 is fulfilled in our lifetime? And it has been. Why is that true? Did you know that even non-Christian historians have said that Israel becoming a nation after it was not a nation is one of the most incredible miracles the world has ever seen. Did you know it's never happened? No other nation that used to be a nation and was not a nation for a couple thousand years has ever come back to re-be the nation they used to be, ever. Amir Sarfata, who's a Christian uh, believer who's preached a lot of Calvary chapels, he makes a great point. He says, and the reason, the reason the world hates Israel is not so much that they were rebirthed as a nation, but they were rebirthed as the nation of Israel. He makes the point that if Israel would have not called themselves Israel, which is the same as Jacob, right? Jacob's name becomes Israel. If Israel, when they became a nation, would have called themselves uh, the central state of the Mediterranean, the world would not be offended. But the prophecies had to be fulfilled that they would not just come back as a nation, but as the nation, the dry bones coming to life, Ezekiel 37.
And then lastly, last one, the Jews would repopulate Israel by coming down from the north. Did you know that the vast majority of those that have matriculated back to Israel to be any, any Jewish person in the world can be a citizen of Israel. You know that, or maybe you don't know that. If you have Jewish blood, you can go back to Israel and claim citizenship. But the majority, the largest number, have come down out of the north. Why? Because Russia and Germany so persecuted the Jews, Hitler and Stalin, two of the most wicked men to ever live, they so persecuted the Jews that many Jews, it's almost like a funnel from the north right into Israel in our lifetime. It's still happening. One of the pictures I had up there, do you see all the people with their cards showing they're now Israeli citizens? Many of them came out of Europe, and most of them, in fact. So we're going to need to stop with these did-you-knows. We've got next week, we've got some more to cover. We want to get into next week. We want to now fast forward starting next week. We wanted to look today at what God's already done so you can be positive when we look at what he is about to do. It's all about, you know, the Bible is not a blind faith. How many think the Bible's blind faith? If you think that, you've been told that by the world. The Bible's not blind faith. The Bible is faith on stuff that has been proven beyond a shadow of a doubt. You know, when a jury sits in a jury box, they can't give a verdict unless they have all reasonable doubt. The Bible doesn't just remove reasonable doubt, it removes all doubt. You would have to go against all of the truths of the Scriptures to say, I don't believe it. Right? People will believe all kinds of stuff that's not true, that's not trustworthy. We bought a certain coffee maker because we were told by some magazines that it's the best. It broke in less than two years. I said, it can't be the best. And we later read comments. A lot of other people had funny names for this coffee maker that they had given it that proved that it was not the best. And yet people will believe the Consumer Reports, the New York Times, CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, but not this. Isn't that sad? This is trustworthy. God is 100% accurate. I'm excited. To, you know, I, wanted to, I have to lay the groundwork today of what God's already done, but I promise you, if you keep staying with us the next couple weeks, you're going to get excited about what God is doing and about to do. Amen? You won't be anxious. You'll be excited. But you'll want to share it with people. Let's have the worship team come up as we, as we come to a close.